Amen. Church, as you're seated, I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me, if you would, uh, to Matthew chapter 5. Today, we're going to wrap up our series through the Beatitudes. Uh, Next week, we're going to do a couple of weeks of just individual messages, probably around the theme of To Be Clear. Uh, I want to look at some of the most misunderstood and misused scriptures in the Bible. And so we'll do that beginning next week. Today, we're going to wrap up this series on the Beatitudes, and as we get to verse number 10, I want you to imagine hearing these words for the very first time, and uh, try to imagine how shocking it it must have been to hear Jesus declare the words in Matthew 5, verse 10, when he said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, Until now, all of the Beatitudes have been given to us in the third person. Uh, Just go back to uh, verse number uh, 2. It says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Verse 4, for they they shall be comforted. Verse 5, for they shall inherit the earth. Verse 6 says, for those who hunger and thirst, and then for they shall be satisfied. Verse 7, for they shall receive mercy. Verse 8, for they shall see God. Verse 9, for they shall be called uh, sons of God. And so even in, his, in, in this beatitude, in verse number 10, blessed are those. Now, all, all the while, all these beatitudes, Jesus starts off and he addresses it in the third person. But there's more because this thought continues in verse number 11. So Jesus transitions from speaking in the third person. Now he's giving a direct address in the second person. L- look at verse number 11. He goes on to say, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I want you to understand that this beatitude does not say, blessed are the persecuted, period. Unfortunately, that's how many people tend to interpret it. Those who read it like this tend to delude themselves into thinking that every time they receive persecution or opposition in life, then that's because they're bearing the reproach of Christ. But sadly, truth be told, believers are often persecuted not for their display of Christianity, but rather for the lack thereof. Sometimes believers are rejected simply because they have unpleasant attitudes or personalities. Sometimes they experience rejection and persecution because they are rude, insensitive, thoughtless, piously obnoxious. You must know someone. Some believers experience rejection because they come across as being proud, arrogant, judgmental. Other believers can be rejected because they're simply lazy and irresponsible. I tell you that incompetence mixed with piety is sure to bring about rejection and persecution. But that's not what Jesus is speaking about here. 
You have to read it and understand it in its entirety. Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. So in context, this is the righteous or the righteous living that is being taught in the previous Beatitudes. You can expect to be rejected in this world if you're pursuing the righteous life that God's called us to through all these other Beatitudes. Why do we expect to be persecuted? Because the world rejects such an approach to living. Go back to the very first beatitude, the poor in spirit. Those that are poor in spirit, it runs counter to the pride and unbelieving heart that exists in our world today. Those whom the world admires are the self-sufficient, who, who tend to, to need nothing. They're often characterized by their arrogance, not by their dependence upon God. And it says those that have a repentant heart who, who mourn over its sins and the sins of the world, that attitude is not often appreciated by the world. And the third beatitude, that being the gentle or the meek individual, well, the world kind of looks at meekness and, and, and believes that it's a form of weakness, whereas the believer who's righteously pursuing the way of God understands that, that meekness is ultimately strength under control. Submitting and obeying God with all aspects of their lives. The hungering and thirsting for righteousness is foreign and distasteful to a world that simply wants to uh, pursue and chase after the things that it can experience, things that it can see, things that it can touch, things that it can taste. You get to the merciful person, the one who, who feels compassion towards others and receives forgiveness in their life, and, and with that forgiveness, they're willing to extend forgiveness to others and, and to respond compassionately to the needs that are around them, well, this type of person is out of step with the grudge-bearing callousness and the self-centered focus that, that exists in our world. And then six, the pure, single-minded heart that's focused upon God, well, that person provides a convicting contrast to the impure, self-focused culture in which we live in. Then the peacemaker that we spoke about last week, peacemakers are discomforting because they refuse to settle for a cheap peace. They refuse to say peace when there is no peace, and they're willing to take whatever steps are necessary in the pursuit of peace. Now the foundational reason why such a person is persecuted is because they bear witness to Jesus Christ. And so that's Jesus' point when he completes verse number 11 when he says you're persecuted on my account. And so uh, the beatitude in verse number 10 says blessed uh, are those that are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And what does that look like? Well, he gives us the answer in verse number 11. It's on the account of Jesus. So blessed are you that are righteously pursuing development of Christ-like character in you and the display of that characteristic in the world around you. Make no mistake, every single person who lives like Jesus will be persecuted. Everyone. In fact, listen to Jesus' testimony in John chapter 15. 
He says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. Ultimately, what Jesus is telling us is that since the, the winds of opposition and persecution blew in his face, then we can expect it to blow in ours as well. And listen to, to Paul's advice to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 12. Paul says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Then he gives this warning in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. He says, you know quite well that we were destined for them. And he's talking about the trials. Hey, I have all of these verses. I need you to follow along with me, please. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Are we there? On the computer. Thank you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 3 and 4 says, You know quite, quite well that we were destined for them, talking about trials. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. Persecution is in the life of the believer who's living the way that God's called us to live. Doesn't mean it's easy. In fact, during a very stressful time in the life of Charles Spurgeon, when he was facing constant criticism over and rebuke over his teaching, his preaching, his life, it was during this time and this season in his life that his wife took a piece of paper and she pinned all of the beatitudes on it and then she tacked it on the ceiling above his bed because she wanted the eight beatitudes to saturate the mind of her husband both morning and night. Everyone who lives righteously will be persecuted. There are no exceptions. So the question becomes, how are you measuring up? Are you experiencing persecution in your life? See, we, we shouldn't be surprised when we experience persecution, no, what should surprise us is when we lack persecution in our life. Now, I'm trying to understand what persecution is, okay? Persecution, the word that's rendered in, in verse number 10, uh, persecuted, it, it bears with it the root idea of to pursue or to chase. Uh, a good translation is actually harass. So, so blessed are the harassed. Now the reiteration in verse number 11 amplifies this idea when he says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. You understand that persecution not only takes the form of physical brutality, but actually persecution is every form that seeks to punish a person for the fact that they're a believer so it just doesn't have to be physical it could be verbal 
or emotional. Persecution can go to physical extremes, but most often, at least in our experience in the Western world, it doesn't necessarily go to the physical extremes. It, it tends to be the verbal harassment that gets us. And sometimes that, that harassment is audible, whether it's whispered or spoken and declared loudly. Sometimes that harassment is given directly. Other times it's given indirectly. I mean, persecution can come in many ways. For instance, take the, the righteous living believer who has been faithful in their service to, to the company in which they worked for for some 25 years, but they're constantly being overlooked for promotion all because their supervisors are uncomfortable with the uncompromising work ethic. Or, or take the, the, the righteous living student who is systematically rejected and isolated from the peers, all because this righteous living student refuses to rubber stamp everything that's declared. Or even the righteous living housewife, who's considered dull and rejected by her neighbors because she refuses to engage or delight in their gossip. Such indifference and contempt I'm telling you, it can be just as damaging and destructive in someone's life as physical violence can be. These things are hard, but the real tragedy of persecution is not that it happens. The real tragedy of persecution is that it's not happening in the lives of believers. So why is it not happening? Why are we not experiencing the persecution that the Bible assures us that we will face. I'm going to give you three reasons, real quickly. Three reasons why uh, we tend not to experience persecution. First of all, many Christians are simply cut off from the world. They're simply cut off from the world, or they're isolated from the world. What I mean is that they go to church with their Christian friends. They attend Bible studies with their Christian friends. Uh, they go out to eat with their Christian friends. They exercise with their Christian friends. They garden with their Christian friends. They hang out on the lake with their Christian friends. They go fishing with their Christian friends. They go golfing with their Christian friends. You get the idea? Everything they do is with other believers, and so they've cut themselves off from interacting with the world. So sometimes people lack persecution simply because they've either intentionally or unintentionally have isolated themselves off from the world. Number one. Now, number two, sometimes people lack persecution because they attempt to keep their Christianity hidden. Sometimes believers will attempt to hide their faith so as not to make waves with their non-believing friends and associates. It's as though they, 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 uh, don't, want be, they don't want to be salt in, in the world. It's as though they, they think that they can hide their light and not let it shine because somehow they think that they're justified in, in, in doing that. <laughs> For the believer who, who, who wants to try to keep their faith hidden so they don't cause problems within family, problems among friends, problems at work. I mean, for that believer, and if it's you here today, like, have you forgotten the God-given mandate that's been given to us by Jesus Christ the Son? 
Jesus himself declared in Matthew chapter 28, Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Jesus gave us the mission to go and make disciples, and you can't make disciples while being quiet. Doesn't happen that way. Paul echoes Jesus' directive when he declares in Romans chapter 10, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. In order for the gospel to be proclaimed, even in the darkest corners of this earth, in order for the gospel to be proclaimed, someone must do the proclaiming. you got to share. Our purpose in this world is to be the light of the world and the salt to the earth. Which means that we're to tell other people about the life-saving news that Jesus Christ can forgive us of our sins and restore us to a perfect relationship with our Father. Yes, it's true. We risk persecution by doing so. We risk being profaned. We risk being mocked, being cursed, being abused, being rejected some of us even some people today will risk their own lives in order to share the good news of Jesus Christ I'm going to tell you my belief a faith that can be hidden it's no faith at all if you believe that you can hide your faith I caution you it may just reveal that you actually lack the faith A faith that can be hidden, I believe, reveals no faith at all. Sometimes we lack persecution because we're cut off from the world. We're not intentionally engaging in it. Sometimes we lack it because we delude ourselves into thinking that we can keep it hidden from other people. All the while knowingly violating God's command to shine and to be the salt. And then thirdly, perhaps maybe even the greatest reason why there's so little persecution is that the believer has become just like the world. If you want to avoid persecution in life, then all you have to do is live the way that the world lives. All you have to do is laugh at its humor. All you have to do is immerse yourself in its entertainment. To to keep smiling and, and, and keep quiet as God is mocked. Refuse to take a stand on moral issues or political issues. Refuse to to clearly declare that the only way to heaven is through faith in Jesus Christ. Don't talk about hell. Don't talk about Jesus. And then you'll be assured a life without persecution. Follow that formula and you've got smooth sailing. But the problem is, people need to be told. And the reality is, Jesus gave us the command to go and to make disciples, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. 
So uh, what we need to understand is that when people commit their lives to Jesus, when they're willing to follow him, submit and surrender their lives to him, when they seek to live righteously for his glory, then there will be a price to pay. You need to understand that. There'll be a severe price to pay in some of our lives. It can, it will, it may perhaps affect your personal relationships. It may affect your social standing. It may affect how you make your living. So knowing this, knowing what to expect, the question becomes, and then how are we supposed to respond to those that persecute us? How are we to respond to the persecutors? And I'm going to give you two things to do. But when I give you these two things, understand I'm talking about how you respond to those that persecute you for righteousness' sake. Those that rebuke you, curse you, reject you, all because you're righteously living for the glory of God. I have two things to share with you. First one comes from Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. I'm going to put this verse on the screen, but I want you to go ahead and turn there in your Bibles because I'm going to come back to it. When I come back to it, I don't have it on the screen. So I'll wait a moment. Keep your place there in Matthew 5. And then also turn your Bible to Romans 12. How should we treat those that persecute us? Number one. We should bless them. We should bless the persecutors. Romans chapter 12, verse number 14 says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. That word bless, that word bless means to speak well of. To speak well of. Now I want you to let that sink in. We've been commanded to do something that does not come natural to us when we experience rejection and persecution for righteousness' sake. Imagine how difficult it is to speak well of someone when they have verbally or physically attacked us. When we've been mistreated, insulted, overlooked, slandered, cursed, we're told to speak well of, to bless that person who attacks us. We're to bless that person, whether that person is your next-door neighbor or your family member, whether that person is your employer or your employee. We're to bless the person, whether they're a co-worker or a classmate. We're called to bless the person that persecutes us, whether they are a friend of yours or your enemy, whether they're a fellow church member or a former church member. We're called to, to bless them. So what does it mean uh, to bless? Or, or what does it mean to speak well of? Well, first of all, it means that we do not react against them by cursing them back. It means that we do not speak harshly to them or about them. It means that we do not try to hurt them, either uh, physically or verbally. On the contrary, to bless or to speak well of someone means that we find something commendable about them and we speak it to them. It's a hard thing to get a hold of. I could tell looking at your faces. 
Now you have your, your Bibles open to Romans chapter 12. This one's not on the screen. I'm going to go just a little bit further with it. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, for those of you that are curious on where it's written, it's written in Proverbs chapter 25. It says, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, uh, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Here, Paul is addressing the proper response of a believer when they are treated wrongly. Anyone can return evil for evil. But when a believer does that, then the watching world looks and notices and begins to recognize that there's nothing different about the believer than it is the one that did the attacking. But when we follow Jesus' instruction to love our enemies, to return good for evil, then the contrast about who we are becomes crystal clear. And our kind and, and gentle reaction to hatred and rejection spotlights the, the depravity of the one who has treated us poorly. And it leaves that hurting person alone in, in his or her hatefulness. The proper response is to bless and to speak well of. Not to engage, not to return evil for evil, but when evil is inflicted because of righteousness' sake, to seek to be a blessing in response. It says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse number 9, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. And then Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4. He tells us to let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So when persecuted, we're called to bless them. And then number two, we bless them and we pray for them. Back to Matthew chapter 5. We bless them and we pray for them. Look what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. He says that you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. 
For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. We're saying that living for Jesus in this world can be difficult, even brutal. The trials are are tools that God used in order to build us up and to make us more like His Son. And so when we're persecuted by others for righteousness' sake, then we're to bless that person we're to pray for them. And when we pray for them, we're doing a prayer of blessing, not a prayer of God. Get them. Pray for them that their sin might be exposed, that their ears would be open, that their heart would be willing to be receptive to, to the Holy Spirit's working in their life. You pray that they would come to know Jesus in a very personal way. We bless them and we pray for them. Because in those dark times of persecution, we're to look to Jesus. We're to let His power work within us, enabling us to be faithful to the calling to which He has called us. May we never forget, it is a glorious thing when we fall into persecution for righteousness' sake. Because ultimately it reveals that we're being faithful to the command to live like Jesus. Now back to verse number 12. Jesus says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Just to make one final observation, the ultimate source of the believer's rejoicing is the ultimate reward. Jesus says, for your reward is great in heaven. The reward is great. That that word great means immeasurably great. The Apostle Paul understood this when he writes two verses, first ones in 2 Timothy chapter 4, when he says that I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I've kept the faith, Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to those who have longed for His appearing. And then one more verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 17 says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. The Beatitudes, we're to embrace them, we're to pursue them with our lives, knowing that none of us perfectly model every single one of them all of the time, but we're to be progressing and growing and being more consistent in our modeling of each of these Beatitudes. And as we pursue the righteous living to which God has called us to, then what we need to understand is that persecution and opposition will happen. Know that going in so you're not discouraged or afraid when it happens. But when the believer who's living righteously is persecuted, then rejoice. Rejoice. Keep your eye on the prize. 
knowing that this stuff that we experience in this world is light and momentary in comparison to what waits us in glory. May you never forget that God will not permit for what has been done for His glory to go unrewarded. Hang in there. Don't give up. Be the light that God's called you to be. Share the message of Jesus Christ with anyone and everyone. And then I would ask you to be honest enough to reflect on your life right now. Are you experiencing persecution for righteousness' sake? Have you ever experienced persecution for righteousness' sake? Are you willing to embrace persecution for righteousness' sake? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this church. God, thank you for the great joy and privilege of sharing your word. Father, I pray that today we find great encouragement along with great conviction. There are many of us in this place that don't experience persecution. God, help us understand why. What's missing in our lives? Is it simply because we don't associate with the world? Or is it something deeper? Is it because we're, we're too comfortable with the world? like the same things that they like. God, help all of us faithfully submit our lives unto you and willingly embrace whatever comes our way in our pursuit of righteous living. May we not be discouraged when it happens, but may we find encouragement in the midst of the trial. In this time of invitation, Father, I pray that you are pleased by the decisions that we make on your behalf, whatever needs to happen right now, Father, I pray that you'll just make it happen, that we will leave here in a right relationship with you. Thank you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. I invite you, church, to stand with us during this time of invitation. We'll be down here at the front to pray with you, to talk with you, to encourage you in any way.